Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First up, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How are things? Things are going really well. I am doing good with with work, with magic, with relationships. Can't ask for much more than that. You really, really can't. And now's uh, getting to be the time of the year where it's okay if you don't have a heater or an AC, right? How's that going? Yeah, I... <laughs> the heat <laughs> is still busted, but it's warming up outside, so I'm less mad about it. Right. Well, good deal. Good deal. Good to hear you're having a good week. Yeah. All right. Next up, as usual, is our resident PDH PhD, Liam. How are you over there? I am writing a lot. Mm-hmm still nowhere near done and i have about two weeks left it's, it's going great it's going great I'm, I'm i'm staring down about 20 to 25 ish pages in 14 days to do it Ooh. when does your uh new job start or has it already started um or... the new the, the new job will start next school year um oh, okay okay i stopped to wrap up my internship which will end this school year so oh that makes oh. sense yeah yeah it's 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 going. Um, once once I get this paper done, I am basically home free for the rest of the year. Nice. This is the last thing. It just so happens that the last thing was a forty-page paper in total. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, figures. Yeah, it's like the like like we're building up, we're building up, we're building up, and like building up, like the longest activity to quote build up was like six pages. And then we get this 40-page assignment, and everyone's like, yeah, we didn't build up enough. Right. <laughs> it's it's my life right now. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, it's... Just it's, busy, it's, busy, busy. It's it's busy. It's keeping me busy. Well, good deal. All right. Well, we once again have, had a, have a very special guest on the show with us today, but before we get to that, we wouldn't be proper podcasters if we didn't do at least a little bit of housekeeping so if you like the show and like what we're doing here, check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. Uh, by being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually a recording of us sort of catching up for the week, real casual stuff. Uh, Liam likes to call it a bonus episode every week. I post the episode show notes and the actual episode on Patreon before it goes live, usually the night before. You also get access to our Discord. You can hang out with us, talk about decks, talk to the crew, ask questions, just uh, overall good conversation over there. And check us out over on YouTube or the PDH pod over there. And then check out my Saturday streams on twitch.tv slash the PDH pod. We're pretty much the PDH pod everywhere. So just, just look for that and you shall find us. So Liam, do we have any magic news for the week? This week in magic news, we have much of the machine spoilers. Mm -hmm. uh, the joke's on you guys. That's next week. We're not going to talk about those this week <laughs> as, as much as I would love to. That's next there's week. some there's some juicers in there. There's there's some juicers in there. Um, I think we all saw the Demir Ferry that half of us are going to be building, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People seem pretty excited about that one. And then uh, there is a new secret layer. It is the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I know we talked about it a week or two ago when it got leaked, but now it's official, and I just yep. thought you should know that you can go buy it. 
Yep, I'm not going to buy it. Spend money on cards that reflect the movie. But but you can go have actors' faces who I don't know <laughs> any of their names. You Same can have here. actors' faces on your magic cards. Um, now are these? I I guess I haven't even looked at them either. Are they unique cards? Are they? Yeah, they're mechanically unique. For mechanically now. unique. Oh, okay. Those in, have always in worked a, out well. In, in six months to a year, they'll have some kind of uh, in-universe reprint. Magic these, version of it, yeah. These ones are very, very geared towards uh, multiplayer, and I don't know if that happens to be a effect of designing for Commando or an effect of the D&D-themed. Oh, okay, yeah. So they seem very multiplayer-oriented. I, I doubt they will make any waves in Legacy or Vintage. Unlike, you know, when Rick was initially spoiled, like it was very clear it, it was going to make some kind of impact. Mm-hmm. These ones, it's very clear that like the only impact they'll really be having is in Commander. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, Wizard surprised us with that dog planeswalker and that screwed up vintage. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? It's a wait and see game with Watsy. <laughs> Honestly, uh, that, that's this week. Yep. We did uh, just a little bit ago. We got the packaging leak for... Um... Not leak, but spoiler for the aftermath set. Mm-hmm. So anybody wants to go check that out, I wasn't. It was okay. I think it gave away some storyline stuff, but see for yourself, I suppose. All right, I think we can move on to the main topic this week. We are continuing our three by three deck series. Um, we talked a little bit in the pre-show how these seem to be fan favorites, so uh, we're gonna do another one here. We're gonna do another deck tech series with everyone's three favorite letters which are ETB. Cards with enters the battlefield are commonplace in every new set and can be extremely powerful when you have constant access to them from the command zone. As we've talked about before, most PDH decks revolve around the commander being in play, so when they have an enter the battlefield ability tacked onto them, it becomes very synergistic and produces a lot of value. It's really... Those are some of my favorite commanders to build around. I know that for sure. Uh, like I teased during the intro, we have invited a very special guest onto the show to uh, to sort of offer another perspective to building decks that get as much value as possible out of those sweet ETB triggers. The PDH Pod is delighted to finally have Sean the Lobbert on with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited <laughs> to be on. Yeah, absolutely. I've been wanting to get you on the show for, for literally 45 episodes, and we're only 42 deep, so... It's been a while since I've been on a podcast. Yeah, I, I imagine most listeners probably know you from from common knowledge. Yeah. I tried to fill your yeah. shoes there for a little bit, but didn't didn't quite work. Yeah, that was <laughs> during during a competitive podcast is it's a different beast. It There's really a lot of is. expectations from the players, and yeah, I was not prepared for it. Like I, I was prepared for the for the rambling and the talking and like the podcast part of it, <laughs> <laughs> but not everything else. And it was a little bit frustrating because we never actually got numbers for the number of downloads. So whenever someone's like, yeah, I know you from that. Like, I've been at like a convention and someone's like, like talking to someone in line because we just finished a a game of Popper. And they're like, yeah, I know who you are. And I'm like, what? Another guy did it. and I didn't even believe him. I was just like, yeah, sure. Like he asked me to sign a card after we finished a game of uh, competitive commander. And he was like, oh, will you sign this card for me? And it was just like a random rare. And I won the pod. And so I was like, it's just probably a thing he does for whoever wins the pod. Yeah, whoever whoever he lost to. I sign it. And then we walk away from the table and he's like, hey, I didn't want to like out you and like tell everyone who you were. But like, I know who you are, you know, because like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like, 
oh, whatever. No, you don't. And I left. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if you ever see me in person, I'm really awkward, and I'm sorry. And if you're, if that guy is listening, I think about that as I'm trying to sleep all the time, <laughs> Keeps him up and night. I can't sleep. <laughs> well, no, you definitely have a reputation. I know, what? in my experience, whenever I have a new player on the stream or I meet someone at the LGS that I didn't know before and they play Popper or what have you, I always ask them what got them into like the format to begin with. And, you, and most of them start with 60-card Popper and then move to PDH. But almost every single one of them, it's either the Professor, Saffron Olives, or Lobbert. It's usually one of those three that, that got them into the format. So you have done amazing work for Popper in general. So we appreciate you for that. I don't deserve to have my name <laughs> mentioned among them for sure. It's and true, it's, though. It's so true. Do you know who I'm following up as a guest? <laughs> do you remember who was on, maybe? It's a Last lot. Week, uh, I'm trying to think. I'll have to look at the show notes. Yeah, I'll have to see. <laughs> it's a good episode. Uh, yep. Lobbert, if it makes you feel any better, I had no idea who you were until you started editing gameplay videos for PDH. I just Good. I, that is I just he, I just looked true. up the Common Knowledge podcast like right now. Uh it looks fun. Yeah, yeah we did a go, lot of content. You have to go yeah, back a couple of years, yeah. 158. Like, Lobbert, Brandon, like, you guys stopped around 90, 89, 92, somewhere around there episodes. I did yeah, I think it was I did episode eight through ninety two. Yeah. Um, Yikes. That is not yeah. a small amount of content. It was good, and, good stuff. That's what got me was into like, Popper. I'm not going to lie. That's what got me into 60-card Popper, for sure. It was both audio and video, um, and I put the cards on screen for, like, the whole time, and we had overlays, and yeah. it was a whole production. And on top of that, I was doing my YouTube channel. <laughs> I can see the, the show notes, and we're kind of getting into, like, who I am. I wa I did write up, like, a, this is how I got started in in uh magic can i just go through that real quick absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. that's gonna be one of the I'm questions anyway deeply interested in this information this this okay. lore i need the lobber <laughs> yes. lore. so i had cards when i was a kid um but i didn't play because they gave me nightmares um <laughs> like the art <laughs> yeah if there's like i i played in like seventh it was 2001 um there it was like seventh edition and odyssey thorn elemental little starter pack yeah, and yeah, yeah. in one of the booster packs, I opened this card. I think it was a it was either an uncommon or a rare, but it was foil. And it was this dude just like up to his waist in lava, just like screaming and on fire. <laughs> it's someone can find it, I'm sure. But it it I, I'm a little sensitive guy, so that that scared me. <laughs> I didn't play it until after high school. I started playing before and after D and D sessions, and then I. When Brandon started working at the same place as me, uh, at Little Caesars, mm -hmm. he convinced me to go, well, we, we became friends pretty quick. He convinced me to go to FNM. Another friend from Little Caesars taught me how to play Popper. And I just started getting into competitive magic. Uh, I volunteered to do legacy content at a local store and like had offered like, Hey, I'll edit these videos. They'll come out a lot better. And we're getting like three times the viewers on YouTube as we are on the streams, mm -hmm. we could, we, this is our way forward. And they're like, nah, we don't want to pay you to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm offering to do it for free. Yeah, Cause I we'll like doing do this. Yeah. And they're like, no. So <laughs> I not understanding why a person would do that. I started doing my own YouTube channel and um, I'd been playing popper cause I was just extremely poor at the time. And you know, working at little Caesars and stuff, they don't, right. 
pay they don't pay you to work there and oh alcadron found it liquid <laughs> fire yeah this is my nightmares from when i was a child uh nailed it nice yes nice i'll put that in the show notes eventually uh brandon brandon pay, played more competitively than i did and he knew uh spencer from constructed criticism uh which oh, is like okay, yeah i was gonna ask how you how you guys got involved with with spencer go ahead yeah it's like the the i think he posted on twitter that it's the like longest standing competitive magic podcast constructed and he criticism. wanted to, yeah like his mm-hmm. network i think yep. he, the the flagship podcast being constructed criticism and he wanted to start a popper podcast and he'd been trying to find hosts and brandon started doing it for him because he was playing with me and then when one of the other hosts dropped out because i think the other host was like Oh, I thought I was just on for one episode. I don't want to take over this show. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I talked. I got in touch with Spencer, and we just started doing that. And partway through doing that podcast, I started playing PDH just because I was so into to Popper and everything. I don't know where I heard about it. Probably just Reddit or something. But I I quit doing that because sixty card competitive formats have uh problems that i don't want to do that again (laughs) yeah and i saw brad doing his pdh games and it just looked like so much fun so i asked him if i could you know contribute my labor for free yet again and he actually took me up on it like a (laughs) like a smart person right and (laughs) and here we are i started doing my own podcast or my own youtube channel again yeah, and I've I've seen some yeah. of the comments on the videos you posted, and people are like super happy that you're back doing popper again, popper content. Yeah, I'm glad. I I thought all of those people were just like inactive YouTube users. I didn't think anyone would care. Yeah, you would uh, assume so. Right? I'd have to like, start over. Like, hmm. But so thank you guys for still caring about what I do. I yeah. love what you do. Yeah, like, there's you. something there's something very like so, you know I I watch a lot of the pals and like. The pals are pals games are very like frantic. Like there's so much happening and there's so many people talking and like yelling and it's just a chaotic mess. Like to, dice like, flying I'm, around and yeah. I'm often very into that, but like watching the the videos that you put on YouTube, your voice has this very like soothing but also authoritative like feel to <laughs> it that just it feels very welcoming. Like mm-hmm. I can just see what happens, what plays are made, like it's it's really remarkably well done. I I get a lot of pleasure out of those things. Yeah, your your videos are awesome. They're amazing. And well, then... thank you. I thought a lot about. Um, sorry, I, I listened to the the PDH or the the yeah the PDH pals, yeah. um, their episode, and that was really eye opening for me. And they basically described what you're talking about. Of they're running a a Twitch channel first and a youtube yeah. channel second yes. so it they they thrive on chaos i'm the yeah. opposite youtube <laughs> is is a channel for curated content that is well edited uh you have to value every second of your viewers time and i mean the pd spells <laughs> are doing it as well but i mean just for a different platform they have to fill three hours i have to fill as you know just cram a, a two-hour game into 15 minutes yeah you know you- you do a remarkable job with it. Thank you. Yeah, you stepped it up when you started adding the card images. That was, good. that was a good touch. I try to step it up every every YouTube video. Yeah. Well, we all appreciate them. So so good work. Keep it up. We love it. All right. I think we're going to get into our decks here. But, of course, if you're familiar with the uh, 3 by 3 or sometimes 4 by 4 episodes, you know that we have pillars. Dave, what do you got? 
I am here today to tell you about the four pillars of an enters the battlefield commander deck. So uh, before I get deep into that, I wanted to, to like draw a distinction here. There are cards that do lots of ETB things, like for example, Soul Herder, or uh, there's a card that I refer to exclusively as Olka. Her actual name is Mist Meadow Witch. But the name of that character in the in the lore is Olka. Uh, these are cards. These cards do not have enters the battlefield abilities. They just give you an outlet that lets you flicker other cards. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bunch of creatures with ETB effects, like these cards will will get extra value out of those. That's not what we're talking about today. We will talk about that eventually. We'll we'll have a flicker episode at some point. But uh, today is not that day. Today is a day for commanders that have enter the battlefield effects on themselves so uh presumably the enters the battlefield effects that is printed on the commander is a thing that we want to have happen over and over and over again mm -hmm. we want to get as many triggers out of these guys as possible and so that's going to be our pillar number one we are going to put a lot of deck resources towards making sure that we can repeat these pillars. We're going to try to find ways to get this commander back into our hand so we can recast it. Uh, those are bounce effects. We're going to try to flicker the commander. Flicker is code for exile it and then return it to play. Yep. Some ETB decks are going to do what I call grave flickering with cards like Undying Malice, which are a, a, a whole collection of black instants or auras that say when this creature dies, return it to the battlefield. Those cards are outstanding. I don't think today anyone's decks are so deep into black that we're going to talk about that in this episode. But if you have a black ETB commander, those are a powerhouse. Yep. So that's pillar number one, how to get bonus triggers, additional triggers out of your ETB commander. Pillar number two, uh, accumulating all of those ETB triggers is going to get us a lot of value but we need some way to transform that value into a game-winning strategy. This can be a problem if you are designing a deck to trigger something over and over again. Your deck eventually, at some point, needs to have a way to pivot that into actually closing a game. Right. My Fierja deck comes to mind as an outstanding example of a deck that didn't do this at first. I had a Fierja deck that was just all about triggering Furia over and over again to keep my hand full, and I used those cards to trigger her again. It was really fun, but it didn't do anything. It just spun its wheels forever. Well, that was that was Risen Reef for me for the longest time. Yeah, Risen Reef is uh, can fall prey to similar problems. So yep. we wanted to very explicitly put in a pillar here about how we're going to transform that value into an actual strategy to close a game. Uh, you can't just scry two and gain two life forever. <laughs> After eventually... Oh, kill people uh that seems very shots fired shots <laughs> fired shots fired i know exactly who i'm talking to uh <laughs> pillar number three is how to not run out of gas it is the standard issue pillar number three pillar number four how to not die this has been pillar four forever these pillars are haven't changed in the most of a year we've been doing this series i mm -hmm. don't think they will at this point uh each of these pillars is so foundationally important to the function of a deck in magic that each of them has gotten an entire episode dedicated just to that thing 
you should check those episodes out. There's piles and piles of really juicy nuggets of knowledge in them, if you haven't yep. already. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do card advantage, and we're going to do disruption. That's pillars three and four. Yeah, if you're, if you're familiar with these types of episodes, you'll notice that one and two always change depending on the topic or type of archetype or deck we're talking about, whereas three and four always stay the same, and we got to figure out how those decks fit into those pillars. Mm -hmm. So, Wait, you pillars. guys use a formula? What? Yeah. <laughs> there's oh, shoot, a, the there's a script. <laughs> oh, no, the secret's out, guys. Oh, damn it. One time, pillar three was so fundamentally important that we put it first we didn't call it pillar one we just put pillar three first <laughs> yeah so then it, it went changes. one two it four sometimes changes. yeah three one two four yeah, yeah. so it's, oh, it gosh. changes which, sometimes which one was that again what, what episode was that that we did that uh i think that was storm decks spellslinger decks that sounds oh right. that might yep that sounds right that yep. sounds right yeah we decided that we were going to do three by three on spellslingers and i kept on thinking of ripley vance and i was like what is what if someone building a Ripley Vance deck need to know quintessentially more than anything? They only they only have a half hour commute, so they're gonna listen to half an hour of the episode and then they're gonna turn it off and forget about it. What's the <laughs> what's the most important thing we can tell them? How to not run out of gas. How do you not run out of gas while casting three spells a turn for Ripley Vance? <laughs> yeah. Yep, that is good information. Alright. Well those are the pillars. And I think we decided to let our guests start off the whole uh, the whole the whole topic here. So, Robert, do you want to start us off with what commander you chose, and may maybe a little brief description of the deck, and then um, we'll start with the uh, with all of our pillar ones. Okay. Uh, so I brought Flame Tongue Kavu. It's a uh, four two for three and a red. With when Flame Tongue Kavu uh, comes into play, it deals four damage to target creature. The body is the, the body is fine. A four two for four is is pretty good, uh, but the ability doesn't win you the game. Um, so, it just ended up being like a, a value pile big mana control deck. Solid with some that's, fireballs. That's one thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you are known for your fireballs. Like that's one thing I've always appreciated about your deck building is you're you don't do a lot of combos. Like sometimes you'll throw them in your deck as a backup win condition or something, but you don't do a lot of combos. Typically you're just like, I'm going to build whatever color I'm in. I'm going to build this huge value pile. And when we get to 13, I'm going to try to rolling thunder you out of the game. Like that's just, yeah. <laughs> that's just the name of it. That's what we're trying to do here. <laughs> but, oops. Everyone got below 10. Yep. Oops. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, according to the show notes, I am up next. Well, if you listen to the uh, shots fired just a moment ago, you probably guessed that I am on my OG Exquisite Blade sticker, flicker, quicker, picker, upper deck. And everybody knows by now, but OG is a four mana, two, three, that when when OG ETBs, you gain two life and scry two. And as Dave noted, that, that alone will not win you the game. Uh, but when you cast your second spell each turn, you can flicker a creature you control. And other than that, it's just a big old Azorius value slash uh, tempo pile. So, Dave, what do you got? I am bringing a a much-loved fan favorite. It's time that we dedicate an entire episode to Marsh Crocodile. Uh, we are rocking the croc long day, every day. This is, in point of fact, the second entire podcast that has been dedicated to the marsh crocodile if you missed the first then you are not listening to enough hex drinkers content yeah and that makes good, me sad good, you should yeah. go check that out. yeah that was a really fun episode to do that, that. was a good episode yep. the, the Oh dinosaur yeah <laughs> high quality entertainment the crocodile 
has not one but two enter the battlefield abilities, which makes him twice as good as whatever nonsense these other nerds brought. Uh, that's just math. I mean, it's just the math checks out. Simple <laughs> yeah. math. One of the ETB abilities he has is that you have to bounce one of your creatures to your hand, which sounds bad, is actually awesome. The other ETB ability he has is that each player discards a card. Sounds bad. Secretly, it's awesome. They're both awesome. We are going to leverage both of these things into just straight upside to create a really aggressive discard deck that's going to make everyone miserable perpetually. Sounds like <laughs> a Demir Crocodile to me. That's how the Demir Crocodiles do. All right, Liam, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I, like Brad, have only have I brought an Azorius deck, I've brought an Azorius Yargle deck. Yeah, you have the Yargle for the now, week. Yeah, now you might be thinking, but Liam, this is an episode about ETBs, and so far we've talked about you know flickering your commander. How could Azorius possibly be a Yargle? Well, it turns out my commander doesn't actually have an Enter the Battlefield ability. It just has a cast ability that is practically Enter the Battlefield. Pretty close. Uh, my game plan my game plan is fairly similar to the uh, aforementioned decks uh, for my uh, co-hosts, but it's the the method to the madness that changes a little bit, not just the madness. So I have brought Ethosworn Sphinx, uh, a deck people might be familiar with me taking and talking about uh, to Philadelphia for the recent uh, Riches Drags event, but Ethos One Sphinx is a simple 9-mana, 7 blue and a white, for a 4-4 Sphinx. Uh, it is an artifact creature, and it has affinity for artifacts, cascade, and fire. <laughs> Those are three of the best keywords in the game, which automatically makes it better than Marsh Crocodile. Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right. But really what we're focusing in on is that cascade. That cascade is going to allow us to rifle through our deck a little bit, a little bit at random, which adds a little bit to the fun. But we're going to be searching for large beaters. Yeah, you, you heard that right. We are in a Zorius artifact stompy deck. I love it. This deck, this deck is a mess, but it's fantastic, and somehow it works. So the goal is to, you know, be playing Sphinx a lot and, and keep casting it for two mana. Yeah. And you'll hear more about that a little yeah, bit later. Two mana flyer... Four four flyer with cascade for nine seems good. So I, yeah, I did I did suggest this episode topic, uh -huh. and I, I do want to sustain your choice. It is very much within the spirit of what I wanted to talk about. Perfect, perfect, excellent. I'm glad to hear. It. Yeah, I was trying to think about what a what a yargle would be for a, an ETB. Like cascade seems like a good one. I was also considering the possibility of something with adventure, like it's an enter the stack and... effect, really. Right, right, right. Like sure. It... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just enter a little quicker. Ad Adventure doesn't really even have an enter the stack effect. It's just like you have to get it back into your hand somehow so you can play the good half. Yeah. Before yeah. you like. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that this is uh, met with approval. It sounds like we got some good decks. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. All right. I was I was promised a Robert Miller one. I know. I was okay. too. Let's get to it. Okay. So before before we started. Uh, recording, Elkadron was chastising me for not playing Barbarian uh, Guides. Attesting. As, as he does. As, he does. <laughs> as, as I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. It was, all, it was all very fun. But uh, 
looking at it, I've, I've considered it before, and it's it's two and a red for a one-two with the ability of two and a red tap. Target creature you control gains snow-covered landwalk ability of your choice until end of turn. At end of turn, return that creature to its owner's hand. And so that's like one of the couple of ways that you can re-trigger Flametongue Kavu's Enter the Battlefield ability. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have like rules when I'm making a deck, and one of them is that with every deck, there's these synergistic cards, and at some point, the curve of I'm picking worse and worse cards to fill these slots, like scraping the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> that eventually that curve is going to intersect with just staples. And I think that it having a small body, I have to keep it on in like in play for it to do its thing. It doesn't have an immediate effect on the board. Those are like three strikes against it. And it's already, I'm already doing a lot of like big mana things. Like I don't have a problem running out of gas. So I, I thought that would be a, an interesting thing to bring back up. You really don't. I've seen this Flame Tongue Kavu deck in action, and like it never fails that like by turn four to six, you're producing eight mana, six to ten mana. Like, yeah, it's so wild. I have I have fifteen mana artifacts and thirty seven lands, so I'm at fifty two mana sources in the deck. I plan on just casting Flame Tongue Kavu over and over again until like just to just to whittle down my opponent's defenses and then they'll die when I find something that they'll die or when they're out of resources themselves. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's your, uh, quote, get more triggers is you're just like, okay, I'll pay 12 for Kavu. Okay. I'll pay 14 for Kavu. Like what's the big deal here? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just run as many mana sources as possible. Um, there are a couple of things that I actually bring that do it. Um, ancestral statue is one where when it enters, it can return another permanent to your hand that it's still not super mana efficient so it's been on the chopping block but hasn't been chopped because three four is still a good body and then my the other one is blood fire infusion which is mm, an insane card yeah it's two and a red for an enchantment uh enchant creature you control pay a red to sacrifice it and deal enchanted creatures power to each creature mm-hmm. so it's a red board wipe and easily like mana for mana really i think it's pretty efficient because like pestilence you have to pay six to get two and maybe there's like some like fiery cannonade and stuff which of course i'm running those are three mana you know those are three mana for two i probably just talked to best circle but for four mana with blood fire infusion plus the cost of the creature it works out to be pretty pretty big when when flame tongue kavu gets any kind of voltron and that just bypassed all the commander attacks. Oh, no, I guess it didn't. I was thinking it bounced it. Never mind. But yeah, it's nope. a good way to get it back in the command zone to recast it. Do you run things like Dark Dweller Oracle or uh, Heartfire? No. no. Hmm. I, I want to do combat. I want to, like, if, I, if I'm sacrificing my creature or flickering it, that means I don't get to deal combat damage. I'm not looking to, like endlessly dirtle i do want to like there's not a lot of win cons in the deck so i'm just like something has to punch them in the face might Let's as well just... be a four two kavu might as well yeah all right, all right. I, I need Next i one. need the body who need who even needs sack outlets when you have a combat step that's right yeah <laughs> and what are they gonna do take it good i'll i'll take four i don't even i don't even know how to block it was never explained <laughs> to me when i learned how to play this game no just... it was just uh turn them sideways that's it yeah yeah, that part that page was ripped out of the little tiny itty bitty book. <laughs> the I mean, tiny, that does... tiny book. 
<laughs> but it does feed into like you have to incentivize your opponents to remove it, which is like it's like Voltron light. You you do want to put like uh equipment on it, like a quarters shield to give it vigilance, and then they have to deal with it or Silvok life staff, just the things to increase its power. Uh Opal Palace pretty quickly makes it just gigantic. Yeah. With that much mana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opal Palace is Yeah, I I really like this plan. I uh I, I mentioned briefly in the pre-show that I I really expected the the FTK to to look a lot like my Noise Marine deck, which also is a mono red card that wants to be put onto the stack over and over and over again. But it looks just wildly categorically different on almost every level, and I am glad that I get to talk about it today because that's that's fascinating to me. Definitely. All right, is that your pillar one? That's that. Yep. Okay. Well, I think we can move on to me. So my pillar one, getting more triggers out of OG. OG is one of those commanders that I think a whole episode could be built around OG. Just the the different routes you can take, the different avenues, the different builds, that sort of thing. So I'll keep my my pillar one short. Basically, as long as OG is on the board. Every second spell you cast turns into a pseudo flicker that hits any creature you control. So the main way to keep this, um, keep the trigger train trucking along is to have basically just open mana and cheap spells. There's a ton that goes into playing the deck. This decision tree, if you will, is huge. And adding stickers on top of it just adds a whole new layer, more trees to the forest, if you will. So if you can keep it simple, just keep cheap spells in your hand keep your mana open that's literally all you have to do because you can get you know you can take your turn maybe trigger og once on your turn pass and then between the next you know your three opponents you may get two more triggers out of og because you just kept those free spells or those cheap spells in your hand and the mana open you just you had the the patience hold on to your mana to hold on to your hand. You didn't dump everything on turn on your turn just to get a bunch of effects and get a bunch of triggers and make all these tokens or do whatever. It just comes down to patience and cheap spells and and mana. I mean, blue likes to hold their mana up anyway, so might as well put some cheap spells in your hand, cast them on your opponent's turn, and that is literally all we have to do to keep these triggers going. That's all I got, Dave. What do you got? Uh, ninjas. <laughs> even better <laughs> yeah uh i my, one of my favorite things about the marsh crocodile is that uh he's a four four he's a yeah. four mana four four which is in in demir for wh- what was this night when was the marsh crocodile when was planar plane shift Ooh. 19 no 2001 four mana four fours in 2001 kind of a huge deal this guy is thick he got that booty uh so oh, yeah. like dice to liquid fire d- uh, <laughs> they're, you... both, they're both out it in 2001 does, it does die to liquid fire that's while... probably why they printed liquid fires to take care of the marsh crocodile problem the, it's exactly correct yeah uh and <laughs> and you can deal one damage to the controller as well liquid fi- liquid fire was their first attempt to give a burn spell trample and it just <laughs> they struggled to template it forever yeah, and like people, people kept on being like, "Why not just say, deal extra damage to the player?" And Wizards is like, "No, that'll never work." And then like twenty years later, they're like, "Ram through excess yep. damage goes to the player," and we're like, "How hard was that?" 
And that's anyway, a common. Good luck. It, it's common. Um, yeah. So uh, Marshcrock do be having that booty. He's a four-four. He's a big boy. Uh, much like Lobert's plan to just turn things sideways and threaten people. Marshcrock is going to get turned sideways. He's going to threaten people. Uh, he's going to get through a lot, and you can just ninja him into something else. And what gets really absurd with the ninja's plan is that you can your ninja will bounce your marsh crocodile to your hand, and then you cast marsh crocodile and it'll bounce the ninja to your hand. Mm, that's <laughs> and good. And like the marsh croc coming down gets you value, and then the ninja coming down and connecting gets you value, and like you just you have this value cycle, like this this loop, uh, which goes really hard. I'm also gonna let the croc die and just recast it. Uh, Lobert's plan is is my plan plus ninjas um i also run <laughs> ghostly flicker and displace uh both of these are the three mana blue instants that will flicker two things mm -hmm. i run these i don't run planar incision or sirens ruse or any of the, the baby flickers i don't run the grave flickers i don't so what is I mean, yeah i wanted to ask what what was the uh or why don't you run the the baby ones i guess because they only target one thing. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you don't want to scrape the bottom of that barrel, huh? Right. <laughs> the Marshcrock deck has so much else going on yeah. that it like spending one card just to get a single repeat ETB is almost never worth it. That's true. Because looking at looking at the deck list, it it is full of ETB creatures. So I can that makes total sense. Right. Like Ghostly Flicker and Displace are. These are the the massive like unstoppable powerhouses because they can flicker one of your other creatures at the same time that they flicker your Archaeomancer, right? And that just puts yeah. the flicker back into your hand, and that that makes these guys the most repeatable. Like it, it's possible that you can just flicker uh, an Archaeomancer with Siren's Ruse, but that's not going anywhere. Like you're not accomplishing anything by doing that. When you cycle the the ghostly flicker with the Archaeomancer loops, that's that's giving you value every time, and that goes nuts. The same with the grave flickers. The grave flickers would be me spending a card just to get one extra ETB out of one creature, and that's not good enough for the Marsh Crocodile deck. Like ninjas are repeatable, ghostly flicker and displace combined with the Archaeomancers are repeatable, and that's where the the crazy value accumulation is going to come from. Cool, Makes because sense. you're discarding your hand like to the marsh crack <laughs> like you need you need things that are going to keep you in the game we'll talk about yeah. that more in pillar three yeah because don't let that slip by you it is each player it's not each opponent each player right. discards a card yeah yep. and it's it's not that it's not that you have to discard a card it's that you get to discard a card you are afforded right. the privilege and it's the a honor. feature not a bug it is say. exactly a feature yeah marsh crack will just turn a game into this miserable 23 turn <laughs> grind uh so anything that you can use more than once will eventually turn a stalled state knockdown drag out battle of attrition into a pyrrhic victory I love and it. that's your goal what does liam have for us i want to hear about east sphinx's pillar one yeah definitely yeah east sphinx kind of has a similar goal to marsh crocodile uh it, it wants to be returned to hand or returned to the command zone so it can be recast to get a Cascade trigger. Uh, and that kind of plays into the deck's uh, overarching strategy of uh, Azoria Stompy, where you just want to have the biggest thing on the board. And those biggest things tend to cost 6, 7, 8 mana, which when you're cascading for 9, it's pretty good. Uh, so 
Returning the Sphinx to hand, uh, recast, uh, cascade, repeat. There's a lot of things kind of across the board in the deck that do this. Uh, I got a couple of creatures like Aether Snipe and Deputy of Acquittals, uh, Core Skyfisher and Shrieking Drake. You've got a couple of instant sorceries like Curfew, Peel from Reality, Run Away Together. Things that you can return Sphinx to your hand and then return maybe something else, like an Aether Snipe or a Deputy of Acquittals. Or maybe you can remove a threat at the same time as your opponents. I think actually Peel from Reality requires you to choose two different players. And then we also have Escape Routes, which is an amazing enchantment oh, with an so, activated so ability good. that allows you to return a white or black creature to your hand. Uh, Sphinx is a white creature, so returning Escape Routes being an enchantment makes it also difficult to remove. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Can I shout out any new province? He, made, he tried to make that card work so hard in I, sixty card popper. I think that's and where I learned about it first as well. I'm I. He he was so amazing. I if you haven't checked out his sixty card popper stuff, I hope he's listening. I I think about him often. I yeah. miss that guy. Yeah, great brewer, mm-hmm. great popper player. Uh, and then Sorry. finally, uh, no, you're, no, you're good. Uh, finally, the banishing that combo uh, is a good way it. It cannot go infinite in this deck, but it can go very large. Uh, I think the the one time I got a banishing that combo online, it I looped it like sixteen times in a turn. <laughs> my opponents were not thrilled. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I I had my opponents were tapped out. Two of them produced the enchantment removal, but I had uh, Candlekeep Sage on board. And oh. so they were like, we have the removal once we untap. And I was like, oh, but I'm going to draw 30 cards and cascade 16 times. Watch what <laughs> like, I do. Like, like, y'all don't know what's about to happen. This um, is a deck that I haven't been able to play against, but I think about it all the time. Because it's just like this huge, like, just like, how do I solve that problem? Oh, I guess I probably just die. I and guess that's I'm all just right. dead. <laughs> because because here's the thing, is the other way to get more triggers with either one Sphinx is it dies and goes to the command zone. Yeah. But I I want that to happen. Yeah. But Liam, I, doesn't I, it cost I actively... more when you replay it after that? All the commander attacks? <laughs> yeah. You're right, Dave. It does start at 9, and then it would be 11, and then 13. But it's got affinity for artifacts. So really, it just costs 2 mana to cascade for 9 every single time. <laughs> every single time. Every time. I, I think, I, like, 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 yeah, when, you cast, when, you're, when you're bouncing it to hand and recasting it, it only has that cost of 7. But I think I've legit gotten the cost from the command zone up to something like 23 or 25 and still cast it for 2 I, Oh, God. I yeah. love it. When people spend their resources to kill my e sphinx, like oh yeah, no it, child, are I, you literate? Like what? What just happened? I was, I was, I was telling uh, my co-host during the pre-show, but I'll mention it here. Um, I got to play this deck in an EDH pod, and and I ended up taking second, not not first, but it was second in a group of five, and I think e sphinx itself probably ate about four, maybe five removal spells. Sure. Uh, counting both like you know destroys and return to hand before people realized they were just doing what I wanted it to do <laughs> um, because I was turning because I was turning it sideways like I was turning it sideways like w- one of the ways to get rid of the Sphinx is letting it die in combat and you know four commander damage will add up quickly yeah it only needs it only needs to connect six times before it's lethal in EDH four times in PDH. And and people underestimate that. They'll let it hit them three or four times before they start paying attention. I think that's a theme we're seeing with all of these, except for maybe OG. You know, OG doesn't really want to be in combat unless he's 
immediately leaving combat. Right. <laughs> Some of those stickers are thick. That's oh, true. Yeah. Some of them get real thick. But isn't, there, gets... isn't there a sticker that turns something into like a 1313 Eldrazi? Yeah, there's. Uh, I, think... I think I actually have it in the show notes here. It's, yeah, something like when another, when another creature per... enters. Yeah, when another creature you enters the battlefield under your control, this permanent becomes a 1313 Eldrazi. <laughs> yeah, that, that OG wants to be in combat. Yeah, yeah it sure does. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I like the choice of Ether Swings Sphinx here in this topic, in this episode, as the Yargle, because it is. It doesn't have the words enters the battlefield on it, but it is, but it is one yeah. of those commanders where you're like, yeah, kill it or, or bounce it. I want it in my hand. I want it in the command zone. I need to recast it. That's the whole purpose. And that's like you were saying, that's virtually ETV. So yeah, I, it works I, out perfectly. I just, I remember the, the game where I got it, it's commando tax, like, like the added cost, the, com- the, the combined cost with commando tax above 20. I think like, it had died in combat three or four time cycles in a row, and people were like, what is it at now? And I said, like, oh, 21. And they're just like, how much does it cost you to cast it? And I looked at my board, and I looked at them, and I said, two. And they were like, this is horrific. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, they have artifact removal, but they don't know what to point it at. Because right. your whole board is artifacts. Right. Someday, Liam's going to play against the uh, the Hammer Mage deck, and then... Then the Sphinx will have truly met its match, but until that day, until that day, the Sphinx is a what's house. Hammer Mage? Hammer Mage is the spell shaper for Meltdown. Mm-hmm. Meltdown oh. is a X X and a red destroy all artifacts with CMC X or less. Yeah, yeah legacy players know like Meltdown. Yeah. legacy <laughs> players know Meltdown. One of the PDH Palace is a Hammer Mage deck, just because he likes the art with the guy like tinking <laughs> his little hammers together. He's just, yep. He built his Hammer Mage Voltron, so it's like Hammer oh, Mage and then like granite grip, like claws of. It's, <laughs> it's very much a Pals deck, but it's it's a That's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Pals deck. Awesome. Oh, all right, I think we can move on to Pillar Two, Mister Lobert. What do you got for us? How do you ride those triggers to victory? So, like, I, I kind of started bleeding into this topic because I just I'm a I, I used a podcast and I like to listen to myself talk. Uh, <laughs> Welcome home. It doesn't. <laughs> Flame Tongue Kavu doesn't win the game by it only deals damage to creatures. Um, so you just weaken everyone's defenses so they'll hit each other. You hit them just. Keep your options available, reduce threats, and eventually you're going to be able to cast your commander more times than them because you have more more mana. And that's just a font that you want to just keep pulling from. Like, eventually, after I buy that time, I will run into a burn spell that kills somebody, or I will find my Ulamog's Crusher. I will be able to assemble something, but it's going to be something like just normal creatures, just value... Um, it has nothing to do with its ETB ability, really. Sure, that's totally fair. I, I feel like I've played against this deck on Brad's stream. We played it when we played, yeah, when we all played together did, did for we... the unedited game. It was, okay. it was Brad was on his uh, five color Sphinx deck, and you were right. on your yep. Raptor. Okay. Um, right. This is the game I had no chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, I, th- I think you, you, you dropped the Ulamog's Crusher like on tons six around there i don't remember i think you dropped it like two or three tons ahead of cub and we all just kind of looked at each other like so does anyone have an answer for that 
The only thing I remember about that game is Brad's gigantic sphinx and just like tunneling yeah. through my deck trying to find Scour from existence. Oh yeah, yeah you were digging. You were digging hard. Yeah, <laughs> did not. It was that. like four four cards a turn at that point. Yeah, trying to find it and it just didn't work. But I, I the other thing I remember from that is you posting the gameplay video and I think I like retweeted it saying, "Oh my gosh, an ornithopter gameplay! I can't wait to watch this." And it like took two or three days before I watched it, and then I started watching. I was like, "Wait, this is this, just this me. was a different game." <laughs> Orn ornithopter was when uh, Robert yeeted me out of the game, and I was on Rough Rider, and he was on the Howl Bonder. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's a different game. I'm yeah. talking about the gameplay video he posted. Oh, yeah, because he posted the the long game, which was like game yeah. two of that night, and then the edited uh, one was game one. Yeah. Ah, uh, I see, I see, I see. I got confused. Yeah, I was, I was so excited for for Ornithopter gameplay, and then I realized it was just me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you thought it was someone else? I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was someone else, and I was like, I'm so excited to watch this, and then it was me, and I was like, wait, a wait second. a second, it's still <laughs> fun to familiar. watch yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's fun to listen to you talk about it, narrate it. It's, it's good times. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to win the game with a 99, but that's cool. all I have for that. Sounds good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about OG's Pillar Two. So, in OG stickers, you're not actually writing the triggers to victory as much as you are using them to sort of keep afloat and then just knock opponent's life totals down to zero via combat in order to do that uh, you need creatures that can attack now if you know me at all in my pauper career you know that i don't have a ton of experience with control decks this, so the first couple times i actually played og i was playing it as like this tap out control list and that did not work at all because all that did was that just ensured that my creatures always had summoning sickness because they just got flickered and they could never attack. Like all I was doing was like, like Dave said earlier, I was literally just gaining life and scrying on my turn. And that was it. My creatures just sat there doing nothing. I could never attack. I was always tapped out. So I couldn't trigger OG on my opponent's turns. It was a disaster. So the fact that OG gains you incremental life honestly really helps to, you know, it's not out of the ordinary to gain two six eight life sometimes before the turn comes back around to you and sometimes you know later in the game when everybody's at single digits and then all of a sudden you're at 16 that is something that needs to be dealt with and it's hard for them to deal with it at, at that point the stickers ugh, the stickers i feel silly even talking about the stickers but i won't go into super detail about them because to use the stickers you have to have 10 different sticker sheets and then you pick three at random so you never know which ones you're going to get. So it would be a, a, a whole additional episode just to talk about the stickers because there's effectively like 50 different stickers or 40 different stickers you could put on a creature. So we're not going to go into all that. I'll just kind of highlight some of the more, the better ones and some of the ones that outperform the others. For instance, the ability sticker from Eternal Acrobat Toast that says whenever this creature deals combat, to, combat damage to a player, flicker a creature you control. That is huge. That not only can target OG, it synergizes with the entire rest of the deck. It's a massive tempo swing in your direction because normally that flicker effect would cost you at least one card and at least one mana. Here you get it for free if you if you uh, hit a player with combat damage. That is huge in a deck like this. So it incentivizes combat, which is nice because OG really sort of wins through combat. And then another sticker I want to talk about in this pillar is 
from Yogmoth Merfolk Soul. It says, when this creature leaves the battlefield, create five one one clown robots. Creature tokens. <laughs> so with OG. With <laughs> OG, right? So if you're triggering OG on your turn and then on one opponent's turn, you just made ten creatures. If you can do it again, you made another ten creatures. Like it, it can get really outrageously ridiculous. If you can get that sticker on a creature, you are going to be flickering anyway, like your Aviation Pioneer or your Soul of Migration, that sort of thing, or OG themselves. That's great. You know, it's feasible to think that you can produce five to ten to fifteen tokens before your, you know, before your next turn, and all of a sudden you have fifteen untapped creatures that are ready to attack. Granted, most of them will probably die, but it's not likely that one of your opponents is going to have. 15 blockers or 20 blockers because by that time you've already got four or five other creatures on the board so it's going back to the beginning it's not the flickers that are going to win you this game but it's what you get out of the flickers you're going to get tokens you're going to get creatures you're going to get card draw that sort of thing but i found that the last game i played with it uh, monday night i found that the tokens are extremely important they help in combat and that's really where the victories lie with OG. Like, OG is not going to win you the game. Uh, Aviation Pioneer is not going to win you the game. The stupid artifact token or creature that creates tickets for you to buy stickers, that's not going to win you the game. You actually have to turn sideways and attack. And outside of one or two creatures, there's nothing really huge in this deck. So you need to sort of turn sideways with a bunch of creatures at once and swing in all at once. So creating 5 to 10 to 15 20 clown robots at a time seems pretty good and if you can't manage to get that sticker on a creature you still have your your other creatures your flyers a lot of flyers that can turn sideways and, and get in for some combat damage so that's how OG plans to win it just takes a while yeah you you do have tons of flyers in this deck tons of flyers and i love azorius for that i love it seems like at common we get so many good etbs on flyers like inspiring overseer and Cloud Seer. I don't know if Cloud Kinseer is actually. Soul of Migration Soul is of migration. one that makes the two spirit or the two birds with flying. Uh -huh. That gets out of hand. Yeah. Like that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can. Two uh, to four tokens a turn. Or, yeah. Or, it's yeah got two the, to four to tokens a turn cycle that both have flying. That does not take long until it's like, okay, I have eight, nine. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I love that Soul also has a vote. So you yeah. can, like on your turn, you can you can evoke it as your first spell per turn, and then your second spell for turn in response to the sacrifice trigger can be anything, doesn't matter. And then you use OG's flicker trigger to flicker the the soul that would otherwise be sacrificed, and you get two more birds, and it stays around. Yeah, like, I think I think literally what you just said is like in my pillar four because it's so oh. potent. Oh, you didn't spoil anything. It's it's just that it's that strong of a maneuver. It's it's wild. That's and it's got sweet Kev Walker art. So what are you gonna do? Yeah. All right, Dave. How do you ride those triggers from the crocodile to the promised land? Step one is ride the triggers from the crocodile into Poopy Town. Ooh. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, we're not we're not headed to the promised land. We're headed to the abysmal, depressed <laughs> horror zone where no one has a hand. And no one gets to do anything. The whole uh, zone. This is, I like that. I'm trying trying to be as evocative as possible so that everyone knows. <laughs> like I I love this deck dearly, but like However, you need to you need to you need to emotionally prepare yourself for how just like awful it is. 
So picture this. Let, let, let this be the emotional preparation for you. Turn two, burglar rat. Everyone discard a card. Sure. Turn four, you mutate cavern whisperer onto the burglar rat. Everyone discard a second card. <laughs> Turn five, marsh crocodile. Everyone discard a card. I will bounce both burglar rats and cavern whisperer to my hand with the crocodile. Turn six. Because they're mutated. Oh, I will gross. cast the rats, and then I will mutate the Whisperer. Everyone is going to discard their fifth card for the game on turn six. Everyone is hellbent. I've just made everyone hellbent by using two of my cards. <laughs> I love games like that, though. That's a value. I, I know they get a bad rap, <laughs> like... and I'm just, like, grinning from ear to ear, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. I did it. <laughs> like, that's the that's that's the dream sequence. That's that's the ideal that you want to strive for with this deck. Just make everyone help and take away everyone's options. That is where you're going first. That's how that's how you ride you ride these ETB values into Poopy Town, where no one has a hand and no one gets to do anything. And like I, uh, half the time, like that that's. That's what happens if you if you have Burgle Rat and Cavern Whisper, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes you just yeah. have Delirium Skeins, and then you also go to Poopy Town with them. Yep, uh, everybody's on the train. Everyone <laughs> goes down. Um, and then the the whole the whole design of the rest of the deck is built around how do you come back from that better than everyone else, which is why we have ninjas that recycle themselves, flickers that recycle themselves, like just this huge pile of cards that can. That, that can once you get into this miserable grind festival where no one can do anything because no one has cards in hand how do you take more advantage of that than anyone else now is a really pr good time to mention that this is very much a competitive deck i mm -hmm. i do not bring this deck to casual tables with, with the exception of lobert apparently no one <laughs> likes these games where no, no, no one, no one I know that plays casually likes these games where no one gets to do things. If sure. people are playing casually, it's because you want to do things, you want to see other people do things. Like the the game that Sheldon described in the last episode, where everyone gets to do their thing, and then there's some big explosive epic play, and then the the game comes to a a really exciting conclusion. That's the ideal casual game. That is not and, Marsh Crocodile. That is not a Marsh Crocodile game. <laughs> uh, if Marsh Crocodile gets to do its thing, that means no one else gets to do anything. Right. Um, <laughs> so th this is my disclaimer. If you take this game into a competitive scene, I find that no one there is going to get salty about it. Like the competitive kids that I know are all very on board with the idea that you're going to try to win at any means. Nothing is off limits, and if that means you're going to make everyone discard, if if Delirium Skeins is the right play for you, then then they're all like on board with Delirium Skeins being the right play for you. Right. Which brings me to the 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 very end of Pillar Two for me. We have a competitive Demir deck that is already running Ghostly Flicker in Displace and Archeomancer. Obviously, the win condition is Peregrine Drake. Uh, and also Gary. These are the like the primary thing. Turns out you don't have to flicker Gary too many times. <laughs> just just once or twice, it'll cross that finish line for you. Right. Uh, so like if you you know if you can put together the Peregrine Drake and the Archeomancer with the flicker, th that's just infinite mana because you can do that any number of times. If you put together the Ghostly Flicker with the Archeomancer and Gary, 
you only, it, you don't generate mana, but you only need to hit it a couple times before <laughs> the game is over. Yeah. Gary's also very eminently bounceable with the Marsh Crocodile. I I had a game once where I, I cast Gary. I had a really slow start, so I cast Gary hard cast very early in the game so I could have a blocker. Mm-hmm. Someone frogified my Gary. Oh. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he was, I don't know what impact he was having on the board right now, but sure, he could be a 1-1 frog. That's fine. Yeah. I was like, I made a big show out of being like just over it. And I attacked someone with my frogified Gary, and they're like, Haha, "Yeah, whatever. I'll take one. It doesn't matter." And I was like, "You fool! It's a ninja you fool!" <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and the guy was like, "How did I fall for that? I know this deck has ninjas." Got him. So, uh, yeah, got him. He was like, "I kill Gary." I'm like, "He's gone. It's too late for that." What man. Gary? Putting Gary in my hand is a cost of announcing the ninja ability. There is no Gary. You can kill there the ninja. No there never was. The, fr- the frog but was I, a ninja the whole time. It was a ninja the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just bounce Gary a couple times, recast him. If you don't luck into Peregrine Drake or Gary, the backup win con, as as we have mentioned before, is just beating people to death with a crocodile. 4-4 four, four is not small. Yeah, not at all. I, I, I like that in Pillar 1 I was talking about that the 4-4 four, four was kind of beefy, and then we moved from that directly into Liam talking about Eldrazi Devastator and Spined Megaloton. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, maybe we right. should reorder this. It's fine, it's fine. The editor has my back. He's going to... I don't know. I Brad, I consider my 4-4 to be a, a pretty good BP. You do. Your 4-4 flies. I'm jealous. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm jealous. Sure, but I think 4-4 is, in general for the format, still pretty big. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. there's going to be a handful of things that are bigger, but generally speaking, 4-4 is pretty large. I, yeah. I'd it's like just to there's say, not... Sorry, I was just gonna say there's just not a there's not usually enough of them that the number of like eight eights and nine nines outnumber the number of like removal spells. So exactly. four four it ends up being the sweet spot where I think it's not big enough that it's just like I can't let this hit me, but it hurts. What's what's yeah. great I think about four fours is that for the most part no one runs commanders that have the text deal four damage to a creature printed on them. And I, uh, I appreciate that about most yeah, people. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. You, wait, you, wait, 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 wait. You know that I love living down here in the sewers. It's <laughs> 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 oh, a place to be. It is a place to be, apparently. Take the troop poopy town all the way to Sewerville. <laughs> oh, all right. Liam, what do you got for two? Your triggers to victory. What do you got? Yeah, so uh, riding my triggers to victory... Uh, Really, I'm just cascading, so it's kind of luck of the draw. Uh, I'm looking for one of two things, mainly. First one, the primary game plan, is uh, big creatures. Right? I'm, I'm looking to cascade into things that will turn sideways and smash in faces. So that'll be stuff like Aether Snipe, Shuttle and Dragon, uh, Eldrazi Devastator, Geoseeker Serpent, Guardian Naga, Lumen Grid Gargoyle, Maelstrom Class, Smearshell Crab, Mirror Enforcer, Sojourner's Companion, Spider Megalodon, Soy Coast Serpent, Ulamog's Crusher, and there's like a handful more in the deck. Really, just looking to hit a big creature, 4-4, 5-5 or bigger, uh, you know, Annihilator 2 doesn't hurt, and just really looking to turn them sideways on the following turn. The other thing, in the event that I don't hit one of my stompy creatures, is going to be some tempo plays. Some of the aforementioned bounce spells from Pillar 1 uh, could remove a threat and bounce my Sphinx so I can kind of roll the dice again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, the other half of Guardian Naga, because it's an adventure, is Banishing Coils, which uh, exiles an artifact or an enchantment. 
Uh, I've got Secure the Scene, although that slot kind of fluctuates from every now and then based on whatever latest removal spell was printed at common. Uh, Scour from Existence. Um, the deck does have counter magic. Now, I know this is a hot topic for Eastbanks because you don't want to cascade into a counter spell. Yeah, right. So I played the modal counter spells that like will tap stuff or let you draw cards or, or do something else. The problem with these modal counter spells, and I, I really wanted to play them because I thought I would really like them. The problem is you might draw them just like any other card in the deck, so you want to be able to play them. Or you might cascade into them, so you want to still be able to play them and, and have a, a, a decent use for them. Right. But to hold them as counter spells, you're looking at three, four plus mana, and this deck doesn't really hold up a lot of mana. The best modal counter spell is Mirror Shell Crab. Oh, so yeah. good. Mirror Shell Crab is the best one in the deck, closely followed by, surprisingly, Oz's Rebuff. Yeah. Tapping down two creatures should not be looked past when you're end goal is turning sideways removing their two best blockers is is really good yeah that that's you know sometimes that can just be lethal you know if you've got your yeah four four fours on the board and they have two blockers well they're just dead well like removing both blockers or if they've got like three creatures and you want to force them to block with something you can tap down oh, the other yeah, two yeah. and be like block with the thing or it's lethal right you know so yeah so really i'm looking to to uh swing into one of the the big beaters and if i don't hit them any any one of my tempo plays are good it makes sense. Just big, juicy Azorius beaters. I like it. Yep. All right, Lobert. I think the the Kavu needs gas to keep that flame going. How do you not run out of it? So I'm gonna get this out of the way. Everybody, play the commander. <laughs> okay. That out of the way. I have a I have a pretty good madness package. I have all of the madness cards that I can run, um, and all of the draw and discard stuff. So I'm I am constantly sorting my hand, and then there's just a bunch of mana sinks. Uh, I play a bunch of equipment, and that always is, you have to factor in that that is costly to keep re-equipping. Mm-hmm. I, I find that a couple of them are worth it. I think uh, I run a quarter shield, ceremonial knife, explorer's scope, silvuk life staff, and viridian longbow. And longbow is just like a way to just like ping random X1s. Um, like a, if gut shows up to a, a pod, I can just be like, oh, got the longbow. Sorry, yeah. bro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They also, you know, make my commander, like I said earlier, a higher value threat. And then the other things I have is all of the mana rocks with abilities. Uh, Bonder's Ornament, Honored Heirloom, Lantern of Revealing, Magnifying Glass, and Network Terminal all work perfectly with the strategy. I just want more more cards, more card sorting. Um, and then I have Balakut Invoker uh, as just a way to dump eight mana into something. But sure. A lot of the time, I just do have to recast Flame Tongue Kavu again, and that that has felt like enough gas that I don't ever really run out of cards. I am bound to hit one of these mana sinks. It it is like you don't sure your opponents are like okay, it ETBs, it deals four damage to target creature. After it does that five or six times to the whole table, you're like, this is a freaking problem. Like it's just gonna keep yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna keep taking out my creatures. I just spent. I don't know, five mana on a five three. Well, it's gonna be dead. Like that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you don't even have to play the flame tongue kabu. And I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, I can't play my commander yet. It's still in the command zone, and it'll just die to flame tongue kabu. Well, I'll do something else, and I'm like, well, I'll do something else too. And they're like, well, dang it, <laughs> I, I needed you to play that. <laughs> yeah, but then there's also there's 
another thing I don't think people talk about when uh, they're talking about how to not run out of gas is, and this is going to sound weird, just make your spells cost more. If <laughs> if you're not double spelling it every turn, if you're just casting one that's nine mana, like you're doing a rolling thunder or you leave up mana and then just like, oops, I have Balduvian Rage. Your creature actually deals 19 damage and you killed him. How could you have killed him? You know? How could you do that? <laughs> yeah, I that's how I accomplish it. And the madness thing, I, I've like kind of been looking at this of like, what if we were all in a pod together? What would this look like? And like Marsh Crocodile just like dragging us down into the sewer and like I have madness and so I'm just like grinning, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, do it. <laughs> Let's go. But I don't think Aethersworn Sphinx would care. Uh-uh, not at all. I just think OG would be the the loser in that. In yeah, that OG would be regard. like, ooh, there's dirt. I don't down have there. spells. I don't that. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. I don't want to go in the sewers. <laughs> OG is not a sewer sewer crawler, that's for sure. A sewer mermaid? Yeah. They're, right. They they do not they're not they're not excited about going to Poopy Town. No, not at all. <laughs> they don't want to get on that train whatsoever. Oh, okay. That's all I okay. got though. All right, no, that's good. That's good. I I like to hear the uh, intricacies of what, on the surface, it seems like a very straightforward commander, and that's what I like about this deck in particular. Is it is a very straightforward commander. It's got one color. It's got a power. You know, it's a four two or what have you. It's got a decent ETB, but it's the rest of the deck you build around it that sort of makes that shine. So I, I like seeing the sort of behind the curtains on that. Yeah, I really like. I prefer to play the ninety nine. Sure. No, and it shows too when you play when you play the deck. It definitely shows. You pilot it very well. Well, thank you. <sighs> okay, let's get into some OG nonsense with the not running out of gas pillar. <laughs> the first line I have here is there's not a lot to say, but then I go on for like six more bullets. <laughs> um, so with that, there's not a lot to say here because OG itself is an out of control. 18-wheel diesel, full of fuel, and ready to just go off, ready to just ignite. Honestly, the easiest way the easiest way to run out of gas that I have found is just to play the deck completely wrong. That's the only way you're going to run out of gas. Um, <laughs> the gas is the deck. The gas is the commander. The gas is all 100 cards in this deck. That is the gas. So if you can draw a card, <laughs> you're going to go to, I don't know what the opposite of Poopy Town is, but you're going there, and it's fun. Funky Town. <laughs> What's that? Funky Town. Funky Town, that's it. Yeah, OG looks pretty funky, yeah. Uh, I actually had to teach myself a level of patience that I'd never had bothered to teach myself before because this is this deck reacts so much better on your opponent's turns. Like like I mentioned earlier, I just wanted to draw and tap out and do all this fun stuff and then just sit there for you know 10 minutes until my next turn watching all my opponents do things, and then I couldn't attack with any creatures because I just flickered them on my turn. So... That wasn't fun, but if you're doing it right, you will pass the turn with most of your lands open, and they will, and they will all be tapped by the time it comes back around to you. Which means you probably got two to three OG triggers, and life is good. The train is rolling. Also, I don't. We've talked about this a lot lately. Robert mentioned it on the stream the other night. I agreed with him on Twitter today. I don't really have the vocabulary to describe exactly how busted Candle Keep Sage is in this particular deck. But it is absolutely astounding. You know, I can't tell you how many times, <laughs> you know, I'm playing, it's my turn, and I and I just say, okay, OG's ability will trigger targeting OG, gain two life, scry two, draw two. 
for like Ridiculous. typically yeah like typically a two to four mana investment for two spells i had to, I had to edit two games of you doing that you know that <laughs> you know how many times i had to say that brad a lot I mean, a lot yeah i imagine it is a f ton of times <laughs> I just, that i said that i just want to say if if your deck's goal is to get everyone hellbent OG plus CKS is not gonna get you there. Like, oh no, that's, no, no! Like honestly, CKS is like my my Marsh deck runs uh, Feed the Swarm. Mm-hmm. It's more for CKS than it is for Oubliette. I believe on Monday this past Monday night stream, my uh, CKS got Feed the Swarmed. Yeah, yeah like that's... the turn after it came down. <laughs> yep, that is correct. Yeah. So, but you know, with that on the board, if it if it stays on the board, every time you cast your second spell, you basically get a free behold the multiverse dot 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 with life gain. Like, Can I? Okay, so at the top of the thing it says no rabbit holes, but here we go. Um, yeah, we're good at that. <laughs> I, we, I we did want to rules. I did want to ask Alcadron at some point why why is Oubliette still legal? Uh, <laughs> We have talked about this uh, a couple times in the um, in the rules committee. Uh, it's it's a really really feels bad thing, but it is not game warping in the sense that uh, Ristic and Mystic were. It doesn't it doesn't quite meet the th- like it. One person's going to play it on one person's commander, and it's going to just be a terrible terrible awful time for them. But there are a couple answers. Uh, I like the the last the last two times that I oubliated someone in a game, they just beat me to death. Like mm-hmm. I I oubliated someone's Dargo once, and they're like, "That's fine. I attack you for fifteen with my other creatures." And I was like, yeah. "That was a huge mistake. You're like, just dead now. <laughs> you, you were those those creatures were gonna go elsewhere if I just left you alone. But I just I brought this on myself. Like there are. So, I mean that that's how Mono Red deals with oubliette, and it worked. It worked that oh. time. Um, in casual games. People just agree not to play Oubliette. I feel and like that's... that's the definition of like it has warped the format. It feels bad enough. It like for the person that it is cast on, it does warp your entire game. I'm warping how I play my game because of it. I'm considering introduction to Annihilation, which is just a freaking awful card. It's a terrible uh, card. <laughs> but I'm sitting here like, I'm mono red, I have to do this. I look at Feed the Swarm and I'm like, I probably wouldn't run that either in my black decks because I don't like sorcery speed removal, but here I am. I can't lose to Oubliette. And I've seen more people just be like, if you Oubliette my commander, I'm done. I'm just like... Yeah, yeah. Leaving. I mean, I've 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 quit games because my commander got Oubliated. And oh, sure. I've just sure, sure, walked sure. away from them. I so I I I... I suppose I should clarify. I'm attempting to recreate for you the arguments that I have heard in the RC. I'm strongly in favor of banning Oubliette. I think it is miserable and has no place in the format. Or I, I guess, honestly, what I am in favor of is unerratating Oubliette so that it's not phasing. And then oh. when, when your creature gets Oublietted, you can just move it to the command zone. Like, Yeah, so that would be... Journey that, to nowhere or whatever. Right. Like That I, would be amazing like because right, i mean in the the original text of the card it was just a really goofy o-ring that preserved auras and preserved counters right and like the 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 problem with the card is that you know wizards wanted to reprint it but with current with current templating in the modern rules like it was too much text to fit on the card and they were like oh phasing is perfect that's that's how you remove it from the game 
but it preserves the ores and counters. Like, this is ideal. And it's like, no, <laughs> there's a <It's> massive <laughs> breach of interaction here between that and the commanders yeah. that you can consider. So, like, I think it should function as originally printed. I think that it should exile the card and preserve, you know, just write that on the card. Exiled, but preserve its counters and auras. Like, that would be effortless. But uh, barring that, I think it should be banned. As with most things, the majority of the rules committee disagrees with me in a big way, and I <laughs> accomplish nothing but being irritated. And yeah. Well, here but... I am on a platform, and I'm going to just use it. <laughs> I'm going to use it as much as I can. And that is something I feel strongly about. I'm, as a sewer mermaid, I don't <laughs> think that, that Oubliette should be a thing. Like, I can't deal with it with sacking or anything. My ancestral statue doesn't work. I'm playing a red deck here. I'm on a red deck, and I just feel like, hmm, I guess I shouldn't have chosen GGs. to play this entire subsection of decks. Right. Yep. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, for now, the best advice I can give you is just play play with the kinds of people who don't put Oubliette into their casual decks. No, yeah, it's if you look at the notes on my stream of, like, best practices, it says Oubliette is banned because... I, I love it. Yep. Because I'm going to do it myself, and I feel strongly about that. Yeah. No, that's that's ideal. Who? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was a rabbit hole. Oh, you're good. No, you're you're totally good. It's good. It's good. good. <laughs> yeah. Where were we? We were, uh, we were trying to we not were run on out of gas. Yeah. On the uh, train to Funky Town. Uh, are we doing? We're on pillar three, right? How to not run uh, out of gas? Yep, I had started OG. I was on Candle Keep Sage. Now I'm on oh. the next little little section of not running out of gas here. Oh, okay. Yeah, carry I on. Do, I do want to throw another sticker here. So one more I'd like to mention here is the ability from Cool Fluffy Loxodon that says, I, I think we mentioned this earlier. Uh, maybe I didn't mention this specific one earlier. But it says, when this permanent leaves the battlefield, draw a card. That's the sticker. That's all it says. You put that in any of your... That's a candle keep sage. Yeah. I, I've, I've played a game where I had this sticker on OG and candle keep sage on the battlefield. That's illegal. <laughs> it felt like it should have been illegal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was absolutely unreal. Being able to use OG's ability to target a ticket maker is absolute value as well. Like, just keep those tickets coming, keep putting stickers on. It gets crazy. So... I mentioned earlier holding up mana for your opponent's turn. So what exactly are we trying to hold up mana for? Ideally, these spells will be to basically protect OG. They, they don't have any built-in protection. They're, they're four mana, so they're not the cheapest commander out there. So uh, if you can get a free spell, quote-unquote free spell, like Ephemeral Shields paired with cheap counter magic like Keep Safe, that would be an ideal hand to keep up. You know, you've got to time everything sort of perfectly, like... Okay, you go, all right, I do this, and then pass my turn. You don't want to start jamming two spells to trigger OG as soon as the next player takes their turn. You want to have some sort of restraint or willpower to decide, is that spell powerful enough for me to counter? Is this combat you know, worrisome enough that I need to cast a Prismatic Strands? Like, there's a lot of decisions that go into every single opponent's turn, so I'm known to almost not really trigger OG until the little 
the second opponent's turn, sometimes the, the, the end step right before my turn, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things to think about. That's what you're holding your mana up for. It's not just like, oh, look, I did stuff on my opponent's turns. You have to typically have pretty good reasons for it. Uh, really, though, as long as you've set yourself up to cast two spells on any of their turns, Flickering OG should provide all the protection you need. Because if someone wants to, you know, Doomblade or Oubliette, or I'm going to Oubliette targeting OG or whatever, you know, you can give it Hexproof with Lauren's Escape, and then you can cast a free Gataxian Probe. Boom, you just got a trigger off of OG. You can hit whatever you want. So things like that are really crazy. They sort of come out of nowhere. And the importance of having spells like flash spells in particular, like Cathar Commando, Tamiyo's Completion, those are huge because Cathar Commando is cheap and it's removal, it's good removal. Tamiyo's Completion is basically removal. And a lot of times you people don't see those coming. Like I think a lot of people forget that Completion has flash on it. At least I know I do. I have to read it every time. And now that I've played it so often in OG, I'll just remember it. But before this, it was just... I always forgot. I always forgot that Cathar Commando had Flash on it. It just their abilities seemed so good that I didn't. My brain didn't expect them to have Flash on them as well, but they do. So we're gonna we're gonna abuse it. Uh, I built my spell package in such a way that most non-creature instants are protection. They are fogs or they are counter magic, and that's pretty much it. But this is Azorius, so you probably already sort of assumed that those things were happening. And then as silly as silly as the stickers are, there are total of twenty ability stickers spread out over the ten sticker sheets that I have. There's two ability stickers on each sheet. Eight out of the twenty stickers in there care about a creature entering or leaving the battlefield. And hmm. that's just free real estate. Like you <laughs> you you can't pass that up. Granted, you know, I let my sure. you only get three stickers to start the game. So I usually let one each opponent pick a sticker. I just have them numbered in blind bags, and they pick it, and those are the ones I go with. Chances are good I'm going to get at least one sticker that cares about a creature entering and or leaving the battlefield. And to me, that's just casting free spells throughout the game for doing for just doing what I was already going to do. So literally play the deck correctly, and you won't run out of gas. There's no secret to it. So that's that's my pillar three. Dave, what do you got? Uh, ninjas. <laughs> ninjas are all powerful. Do, do, you, do you guys know that there's a ninja that just draws you cards? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know? Yep. That, do, do you know that there's a ninja that draws you cards while while looping with the crocodile that makes everyone <laughs> discard cards? Uh, that sounds so like, like value. That sounds like sixty card popper. That does sound. Like I mean, <laughs> minus the crocodile, but the spell stutter sprite, and that—that uh, that was my life. Gross. What's yep. wild is that there's there's two ninjas now that draw cards. One yeah. of them, two blue ones. Two blue ones. One, you know, deep hours is just draw a card. Nuts. Yep. Every time, every time it connects, draw a card. Crazy. Uh, the other one is, you know, the when it connects, if it entered the battlefield this turn, you draw a card, or if it didn't enter the battlefield this turn, then you loot, you draw and discard. Right. Uh, sometimes I want to discard. The deck runs all... I should probably mention that first. I am an egregious and unrepentant slut for madness. I say this in every single episode. We're saying it now. Marsh Crocodile is a madness deck. Marsh Crocodile makes me discard cards. Those cards have madness. Everything is copacetic. Sometimes the Moon Circuit Hacker will make me discard, and that's great. A lot of times, I'll just 
bounce the moon circuit hacker with the marsh crocodile and just loop the ninja thing so that every time the moon circuit hacker connects it it's connecting for the first time and it's just straight card draw oh it's gross that's good yeah, yeah. That, that's good i i love ninjas and the crocodile <laughs> so yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna abuse ninjas for card draw value we're gonna abuse flicker loops for card draw value the crocodile the, the the number one main ideal target for the crocodile to bounce to my hand for a recast would be a burglar rat or a you know virus beetle or elder fangus there's like five of those cards it's silly but there's also a lot of really cheap creatures that draw me cards like uh, uh dusk legion zealot or uh Thalicos seer is really outstanding yeah with that's the ninja's a good one. plan yeah, because it's got shadow. It just enables all the ninjas all the time, mm-hmm. and then it draws when it leaves play. Crazy good. So yeah, like I'll, I'm gonna get value out of those, and I'm gonna bounce them with a the crocodile, and I'm gonna play them again. I'm gonna get more value out of those. I already mentioned madness. I'm, there's there's a f- small flashback package as well. These are cards that I can discard to the crocodile and still get value out of, or I can just cast them twice if I want to. One of my favorite lines of play looks like this step one discard first sphere gargantua to marsh crocodile mm-hmm. first sphere is a six mana five four with unearth for three and it has uh when it enters the battlefield you draw a card lose a life so you discard it to the marsh crocodile then you unearth it to draw a card and swing for five mm-hmm. then you ghostly flicker targeting the gargantua and the crocodile gargantua comes back draws you a card Seems good. and it's no longer unearthed so it just sticks around yep but it's not that permanent because the crocodile comes back and bounces the <laughs> bounces the gargantua to your hand and then you discard a card to the crocodile so you discard gargantua and then you unearth the gargantua and swing for five this this seems like a whole thing it's a whole th- the whole deck is a whole thing. Like <laughs> this is why Marsh Crocodile is the mayor of Value Town. Like people people routinely underestimate how relentlessly this deck just does not stop delivering value while taking away everyone else's value. Like he Marsh Crocodile decides whether or not you get to do things and it always gets to do things it's kind of unfair see i thought i thought the crocodile was just on the train to poopy town it is the conductor it it is the train to poopy town <laughs> <laughs> i the, the very first competitive game i ever played with uh this was uh against uh clay and i think uh maybe bobby no Clay and someone else and Ryan. And Ryan was on his Witherbloom Apprentice deck. And uh, we we managed to kill Clay and the other guy pretty early. Mm-hmm. And then we just did like this 60-minute 1v1 grinding festival. And I, 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 I out-grinded Witherbloom Apprentice pretty, pretty handily. Wow. <laughs> like, 
Like Witherbloom, there, there was there was once or twice where Witherbloom looked like it was starting to get an edge, and then I just shut it down, <laughs> took away everything <laughs> it loved, and sent it directly back to Poopy Town. Yeah, like, one way ticket. Right, like I was I was capsizing lands. I was, oh God! I, I was like. I was doing upkeep. No, I was doing end of draw step flicker loops on Archaeomancer and a Liliana Spectre to force the discards. To you know, he draws a card, and I just force the discard before his main step. Like, right. <laughs> it was. Oh, that is. It was unkind. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was downright disrespectful. Is what it was. But yeah, yeah no, that's that's what I do. Oh. Liam, can you can you brighten the mood a little bit with the, with the pillar three? Here? <laughs> I I can try. When it when it comes to not running out of gas, honestly, it's an Azorius deck. We have draw spells. Um, my commander says cascade, which really just means draw a card and cast it without paying its mana cost. Um, so, you know, not running out of gas is is pretty easy when your commander basically just cantrips. Uh, yeah. It being a non-land is even better. Yeah. Draw plus yes. plus. Yeah, cantrip to a non-land. Um, <laughs> the the deck has a little bit of tempo because it is Azorius and you really can't avoid it, but it's not really the main strategy of the game. Uh, and then relying on kind of activated abilities of prominence like Bondo's Ornament, Lance, and Revealing is, is, is really nice because the game... The, the deck's whole goal is to draw the game out to a point where your opponent are running out of gas and you're just kind of chugging along uh you can get openers where you have like an explosive start uh but the the better openers are honestly the ones where you just have good value but you don't have the explosive start you don't become the target and really like you can end up with 20 30 mana no problem uh and when your commander always costs two you need stuff to spend that mana on and these activating abilities you know they they look like they cost four or five mana they're 100% worth it every single time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's it. It's it's pretty short and sweet. You know, we got card draw, we got tempo. Nice. I do love card draw and tempo. I do too. So, I'm... go ahead. Should we talk about Brainstorm? I did not talk about Brainstorm because I figure our listeners are familiar with Brainstorm and its shenanigans. I feel like, Would you like to talk about Brainstorm? I feel like Brainstorm in the E-Sphinx list deserves at least a little bit of a special mention because not only is it really great card draw, like it's always great card draw, but mm -hmm. like it's also a way to just, like, if you accidentally draw the Eldrazi Devastator and you're like, oh man, I wanted to cascade into this, you can just Brainstorm. Put it on top of your library and then put it back. cast the Sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you need it to be on top of your library, Brainstorm will put it there. Like, that's, that's a good way to not run out of gas. Just like, whoops. Yeah. One mana, I'll draw the Devastator. No big deal. <laughs> One mana, Devastator. Ooh, that's fine. Don't worry yeah, about I, it. Yeah, I, I pulled similar tricks uh, with my Yuriko EDH deck. Gross. Uh, we don't talk about that. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I you know routinely had 20-card hands, and at least two of the cards are 9, 10 mana. Just casually, Yuriko, brainstorm them on top, have three ninja triggers. I know what the first two are, and the third one's just, you know, whatever. Right. Oh, it's brutal. Wait. So this, this episode only has room for one Demir Ninja's deck, and it's uh, it's spoken for. There you go. It is. You're right. On the Yuriko town, is better than whatever swamp alligator it is you have. <laughs> it's a, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh dinosaur. Oh, all right, Robert. We know the Kavu dies to Oubliette, but how do you not die to everything else? Uh, so 
blocking I, I mean i like i so there's a few ways so blocking is the first one i want my commander to die so i don't mind just like oh, i gotta leave it back i hope someone attacks me i hope they trade um mm-hmm. a quarter a quarter's shield helps with that i love vigilance it gives vigilance um it you, turns... if dave is a slut for madness you are a slut for vigilance i yeah like 100 uh, that's coming to a multiplayer format and just like reevaluating all of the keywords Vigilance just kind of is incredible where I get to block three people and attack in in my mind that's like there's some kind of multiplier there where it's just way better than it is in any other format because and it's already its an ability yeah and it, it's already an ability that that wizards is like we have to be careful with vigilance like if if we do it too much then the games just don't work um and so I'm like cool I'm going to break this. Uh, <laughs> I go for all of the life gain that I can. Uh, Pristine Talisman and Silvok Lifestaff. Um, everything else I feel like is just like too bad card advantage wise. I have thought about what's it? Luxa River Shrine. But this is where I'm at right now. And then you've probably noticed that I have really skimped on a lot of things. I do as much card advantage as I can in red, but that's not that many slots. I have 19 removal spells. Uh, <laughs> almost all of them are instant. Uh, I have my... Wait, does, does that include the, the Kavu? No. I, I think maybe you have 20 removal spells. Um, let's. Yeah, so if you don't count my commander or the Ulamog's Crusher as removal, it's 19. Uh, I've, got, like, I've got three fireball effects, a shiny impetus, six dedicated burn spells... Two, both of the two damage sweepers, dead gun to bounce things, fissure to destroy an artifact or for to destroy a land or a creature, Belican Invoker and Freudian Longbow. For artifacts, I have Smash and a Braid, and then Scour from Existence. I, I was just looking at either Sworn Sphinx, and I was like, why haven't I put Unstable Obelisk in here? I can't believe it's not already in there. So I'm probably gonna do that tonight. Find room for number twenty. Yeah, that's a solid solid pickup for that deck. I think. Yeah, so, and I try to make all of those instant as much as I can. It is only 15 of them, though, that are instant. Yeah. Or I only have 15 instants. So, yeah, just, just kill everything. And it does it very well. That's what do- Red does the best, I think. Everything and yep. every player. That's all I got, though. Uh, Brad? Yeah. Uh, Pillar 4, How to Not Die with OG. There are... the In my experience, there are two main ways to not die, not die with this deck. Either one is you rely heavily on OG's life gain and you pair that with just regular combat, chip damage. You know, we're in Azorius, so we don't have huge creatures. Most of our creatures are going to be 1-1 tokens, maybe 2-1 flyers or 2-1s on the ground, that sort of thing. So you're going to have to utilize a lot of them to get to, you know, to accomplish 90 points of damage across the uh, scope of the game. The other way to win is... Stonehorn Dignitary Locks. Kind of crummy, but I did win a game last weekend or the weekend before where I locked out players three and four with Stonehorn, and they were just like, okay, I guess the game's over. I I, <laughs> I hate winning like that, and I hate losing like that, but that's what uh, the deck kind of has to do, yeah. That's valid. Yeah, so 
that is an option. Blue doesn't have any transmute cards that will find Stonehorn Dignitary, so you sort of just have to draw into it. Uh, so I wouldn't rely on that particular lock to win you the game every time. So more than likely, it's just going to be combat, life gain. You're, it's just going to be a game of attrition. You're just going to have to last longer than your opponents. Um, I was intimidated by, intimidated by OG at first, but that's it. That, there's no secret to the deck. Like, I, I had... When it was spoiled, and even for a few first few months after that, it had all this text on it and casting spells and flickering creatures, and it was in white and blue. And I had, you know, I was just intimidated by it. But once I started playing it, that's that's really all there is to it is damage or Stonehorn Dignitary. Everything else the deck sort of does for you as long as you time it correctly. The problem is this isn't a deck. Hmm, I haven't played a game with OG that lasted less than two hours. Like This isn't a deck that's going to lose quickly. It's not a deck that's going to win quickly. It's just going to stall out the whole game forever, every time. Uh, so be prepared for a grind fest. But as far as um, the combat aspect of it goes, Battle Screech is awesome. Soul of Migration is awesome, like we talked about earlier. It gives you a nice stack of blockers and some birdies that can help you close out games. Um, OG's life gain cannot be understated. You know, like like Dave mentioned, you just haven't lived until you've evoked a soul of migration, flickered it while it's on the stack, trigger OG to target, you know, whatever else is on your board, just getting a whole stack of flyers, whole stack of tokens, drawing cards, gaining life. It just, it really never ends. It only stops when you're out of mana. And sometimes with the stickers, it can keep going after that. So... Sure, you know, you might think the life, you know, gaining two life at a time is negligible, but when it happens twice every turn, happens on your turn, happens on your opponent's turn, you know, that's four life every turn that you're gaining. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's ten. Like I said earlier, everyone's at single digits, you're up near 20, that's when you become a problem, that's when you can sort of turn the corner and, and start closing things out. On the combat damage side of things, there is, you mentioned it earlier, there's a sticker that says when another creature ETBs, it turns the sticker stickered creature into a 13-13 Eldrazi until the end of turn. I have not um, had Fortune smile upon me. I have not been able to draw that one yet. So I can imagine once I do... I, actually, it was in my pile last game. I didn't put it on because I thought I needed something else when that probably would have actually closed out the game for me. So live and learn, but that is a wild sticker. You can throw that on... I don't know, any one of your flyers, and that's just going to be lights out for somebody. I realized early that I absolutely needed some beaters, so I went with ones that I thought best fit or didn't just straight up cost, you know, six, seven, eight, nine mana. So I put in Sword Coast Serpent and Tolarian Terror. I think the game that we all played, I think Sword Coast Serpent ended up closing that out because because of its unblockable ability or what have you. So that was really nice. So those are the only real muscle options in the deck, and you'll get to them eventually. So you're just going to have to rely on your birds, your counter magic, and some life gain for the most part, and that's how I keep from dying. It's not ideal, but it is very slow, and it is very effective. Dave, how does the crocodile stay alive? This part's probably the most boring section, the most boring pillar for the crocodile, because it's just really like mundane, normal cards. Like I am, I love the croc ninja flicker plan. I love the the crazy value nonsense it does, but like none of those things 
handle active threats. If you want to handle active threats, and and you do, uh, <laughs> you just have to run whatever standard issue high impact, high efficiency removal spells you've got. So mm -hmm. there's a very there's a very staple-ish looking suite of removal spells like murder, cast down, snuff out. There's a very staple-ish looking suite of counter spells like counterspell and negate. Mm -hmm. uh, arcane denials in there. Yeah, just boring stuff. Although uh, there is a uh, there's dark withering. I really like dark withering. That's the madness spell that's uh, uh, destroys a non-black creature for. If you madness it, it costs a single mana. Yeah, if you actually huge. hard cast it, it costs six, which right. is. I don't think that's ever happened in a game of Magic. <laughs> the other madness thing I have is uh, just the wind. That's the madness unsummon. Oh um, yeah, I always forget about that card. The good yeah, one. that's that's fun because you can bounce a creature to someone's hand and then force the discard. Mm -hmm. As good as like Burglar Rats starts to lose its effectiveness if one of the players is is hellbent. Like if, if yeah. two players have one card in hand and one of them doesn't, you just put a card in the other player's hand and then right. make everyone discard. <laughs> it's uh feels really good. So uh, yeah, I I do some I do a little bit of that bouncing a creature and then forcing a discard. Uh, that's pretty fun. You know, Denrova Horror kind of does the same thing, and that was Tron's Wincon and sixty card popper for like years, uh, like two I, years. So I had Denrova Horror in the the earliest version of this deck. I back before I knew that competitive was its own thing that would mm -hmm. be very accepting of this uh, miserable festival of grinding <laughs> nonsense. I, I thought that this was a, a casual discard deck, and I ran stuff like Dinrova Horror and uh, other like really expensive cards. And it's just mm -hmm. it's it's way too expensive for me to bounce it with a crocodile. Or yeah, bounce six it. mana, like, no matter what. Six mana is a lot. Yeah, and like flickering it was a cute idea, but like you have to that six mana investment. In Ugh, it's so much is, work. Yeah, it's it's brutal for this deck. So I, it got cut for like negate i think so like yeah, yeah when, when i switched it to to be more competitive i realized i needed a lot more counter spells i needed ways to interact with people's combos and uh sure. that was that was a, a robust counter spell suite a robust removal package feed the swarm yeah that makes sense yeah not not very exciting but effective hey that's kind of what grindy decks look like yeah that's how we do it oh all right liam how does the sphinx stay alive uh Simple. Have the bigger things. <laughs> it's 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 Azorius Stompy. It's it's weird, but have the bigger creatures. That is... You've got the Eldrazi, you've you've got the four four five five artifact menaces. That is a weird concept. Like you can you can sort of picture if someone said, Oh, I'm playing an Azorius affinity list. You're like, Okay, cool, the biggest thing you've got's a four four. Mm -hmm. That's not really what's happening here. Yeah, it's it's absolutely not what's happening here. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, even thinking back to Philly, you know, I sat down at a table and they're like, So what are you playing? Oh, Ethos One Sphinx. And I read it and they're like, Oh, so you're playing Azorius Artifacts, you've got affinity. Okay. You know. Right. He's never right. gonna have anything bigger than a than a three, three, or four, four, he's gonna be doing artifact things. Tone five, spined megalodon, and they're just like, Oh. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, that, that doesn't <laughs> Tone check six. Out. Yeah, ton six, Ulamog's Crusher, and they're just like, "What are you playing?" And I'm like, "Azorius Artifact." Did you swap your commander? <laughs> what is happening right now? 
because there is something about the actual card, like the, the creature Ether Sworn Sphinx, that flying affinity cascade there's something about all three of those powerful words being on there that they don't all register so you don't think it's as powerful as it actually is at least i don't i look at it i'm like ah fine meh whatever oh and then you just get wrecked (laughs) i've just i've been so scared of this i think like the drawback is that you can't play like all of the counter spells and protection spells that you'd probably want to play otherwise but they're all just replaced by like yeah yeah like so that's just gigantic that gets me. like i don't care about protecting east things i want it to die please kill it for me that'll yeah, save please. me a lot of trouble and like the other things you could be killing are spine megalodons which you can't kill it's <laughs> yeah. literally immortal oh god i'm like yeah maybe maybe you murder an eldrazi devastator but like i'll just i'll get another one i'll make something <laughs> else i mean you you spent a card from your hand to do that. I'm gonna get another one for free. Like yeah, I'm gonna get this Devastator win, for free. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll win that game in the end. Like let's play the attrition game. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> many, see how that goes. How many for cards you? are you gonna spend <laughs> destroying my stuff while it just multiplies? Oh, that is crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, it's so good. It's so crazy. Like you just never. I don't know. I guess I just had never considerably wrapped my brain around Ether Sworn Sphinx before until like. I think fairly re- like I always knew it was good. I just thought it was some sort of like you had to like deep dive on it and get all funky and magical and, and twisty and special with it. And then like when we first started talking about the most recent riches to rags and Liam's like, yeah, I'll probably play the Sphinx deck. That's when I really started thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like absurd. It absolutely well, is absurd. It's such a proactive deck. Like it like I'm looking through this even more and I'm like, you don't react near as much as anything else but it's just such a big question that okay can you can you beat this probably not yeah here's another one probably not (laughs) i think part of part of the sphinx's strengths is you never know what's going to come out of it Yeah. yeah and something that i've kind of been leaning into a little bit more is 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 a problem that you have with building the deck is is it's it's one of those commanders that classically in EDH, you don't want to run like 150, 180 cards for it, but you want to run like a solid 110. But you're limited to 100. So there's there's some wiggle room in there. Mm-hmm. And just simply changing the deck up from, you know, you can't do it from game to game during an event. But, you know, at my, in my local meta, like, you know, they'll adjust their decks to have more removal for this certain type of thing. And then I'll swap those creatures out and put something else in. I'll swap around the kind of removal I'm using. And the the swaps that I make, they're all valid cards, but it's just the, you know, what kind of build am I playing today? Part of the Sphinx's strengths is you just don't know what's in it. Yeah, you absolutely don't because I, the majority of your spells are free. They could be anything. Mm-hmm. Wild to me to think about. Anything except Hand of uh, Emrakul. <laughs> oh, because it's just one too many mana. Yeah, one too so many. Almost. You can you can cascade into anything else in Azorius, but not that. Yeah, there was there was something else. Um, no, the, no, the, there was something else that came out. Uh, oh, the depth charge kid. Oh, depth charge, depth charge. Yeah, it's Colossus nine or ten. Yeah, depth charge Colossus. 
Uh, yeah. Sorry, I was I was thinking of Rust Goliath, and I was like, I don't have to mention that because it's green. But yeah, there was a I, yeah, blue I one. knew there was Death's another Charge. one. I couldn't think of it either. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. yeah, Depth Charge Colossus, Hand of Emerald Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish Cascade would let you would 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 let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do, do equal yeah. to. I um. Although, I wish I, wish I could Cascade a Noise Marine into a Mana Geyser, but yes, yeah. I'm, I'm curious two. about the. Depth Charge Colossus, that should work because of Prototype. You should be able oh, to... Oh, you can hit the Prototype and then flicker no, it if I you had like... to, I guess? No, because no. Prototype is an alternate cost, oh. so you can't cascade into an alternate cost. Oh, you I guess cascade. same reason you can't cascade into, like, an adventure spell. You also right? can't cascade into an overloaded Psychrift, yeah. Right. You just cast, cast, yeah. you cast it as printed. You get the top right corner, that's what you yeah. should get. You, don't... You, you can do additional costs... Like yeah, if, if you, cast, if you cascade into something, you can kick it, or you right. can buy yeah. it back, or, yeah. if, or if you cascade into a goblin grenade, cost. you still have to sacrifice a goblin. But right, yep, yeah, yeah. alternate costs are no good. Well, this was a pretty good little episode we put together. How are you guys feeling about your decks? You learned anything? Are you loving them more? Are you are you finding some weak? Every time we do a three by three, <laughs> I find something about the deck that I've brought that I'm like, hmm, I need to change that. I need to change that. So yeah, I'm putting in that obelisk for sure. Yeah. See, I th- obelisk I think that's is a good high quality. Yeah. yeah, obelisk is insane. I flipped out when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, you were very excited about that one. I was so happy. <laughs> Sounds like the Marsh Crocodile's not changing anytime soon, so that 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 poopy train just gonna keep on rolling. The thing I learned is that Lobbert is into that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He is into. Some, I mean, you get to choose control. how you're gonna react to something, and if you're just like, if everyone is down in Poopy Town. And, like, I think that's the thing you came here to do, is, like, like your big impressive thing is putting us there. Why Why? Why is everything else allowed? Like, killing a player isn't discouraged that much. I don't think it should be. If, if you want to drag everyone down, that's your big impressive thing, and I'm impressed, and I'm happy that you got to do that when it happens. And it's cool going to resist you every step of the way, but... Oh, yeah, I'm going to fight against it. I don't want to be in Poopy Town, the sewers of Poopy Town, but... I'm impressed that Demir can do those sort of loops and stuff. It's it, that, that's very intriguing to me. Yeah, can really get there. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, oh, all right. I think we ran a little bit long, so we're gonna push the listener questions out towards next week. Uh, we're gonna move into the outro real quick, and then we'll. Um, We'll wrap it up for the week. So if you need more Popper Commander Talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH home base's website. You'll find their Discord server there. Uh, you, you can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B. And as always, you can find Dave as Alcadron just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. Uh, another huge thanks to Lobber for coming on the show and breaking down some decks with us. Where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube if you just search for Lobert, and I'll have a link tree on any of those platforms that you can find me everywhere else. Yeah, and Twitter, it's actually Lobert8, is that right? It is Lobert8. Because yeah. Lobert was taken. <laughs> yeah, I keep trying to take it back, but... <sighs> Bastards. He hasn't been using the platform for over 10 years now, and I get to be Lobert8. <laughs> what happened to Lobert1 through 7? <laughs> that's my question alright did we miss anything else for this week I think we got everything huh that's some good deck talk we're at about two hours that sounds good to me yep. alright 
as episode 42 of the PDH pod that's, comes to that's, close. That's what it sounds like when the editor is putting on a very brave face. Two and, hours. Uh, sounds good. Two hours. Great. All right. Uh, we're going to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, buy your ticket to Poopy Town, and we'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. See ya. As usual, if you needed any more things, any more questions, let me start that over. What the hell was I doing? <clears throat> All right, outro. I brought proper text to the party. Pop. I brought proper text to the party.